Hey, good morning, K2. Hope you're having a fantastic morning. I'm back in Detroit, Michigan, actually, this, this Sunday, speaking at Kensington, which is the church that birthed K2. And so, um, but I'm on this video because we have something very important to share with you. Probably about six weeks ago, Susie and I were praying in the morning, and um, I've had an idea in my heart for a while, and I've been privately praying about it, but then Susie started praying about it. And I'm like, interesting, Susie, uh, I've been thinking about this. So we started talking about it together, and the more we talked about it, the more excited we got. And that is the idea of going from two services on a Sunday morning to just one. And, um, and we're going to go for it, and I want to share with you why. First of all, um, that was a Thursday. The very next morning, we had our spiritual advisory board meeting, and I shared it with them. And then the next Tuesday, we had our management team meeting, and I shared it with them, and then eventually our whole staff. Then I just started talking to people I really respect outside of K2 who really understand ministry and church. And the crazy thing to me was almost everybody I talked to felt very positive, uh, a very positive initial response to this idea. Here's why. Um, you know this if you've been here with us for a while. We have just stayed the same in our attendance. And um, I've been asking God why. And there's this crazy thing where they say, if you try to do the, if you want different results, but you keep doing the same thing, that's called insanity. So, um, so we wanted to do, I wanted to do something different, but I had no idea what it was. And then we had our marriage conference here. Our auditorium is filled with almost 800 people. It is a different experience. We just had Easter, right? And if you guys were here, the auditorium's full, and it is a different experience. So here's one thing we do know. If we go to one service, you're going to sit in this auditorium, and the energy in this room and the, the worship experience, the community that's going to happen in this place, it is going to be better. It's just going to be different. And the truth is, when you plant a church, you always start with just one service. And the only reason you go to two is because you can't fit in this place. Well, obviously, we can fit in this auditorium. Um, it's a little bit bigger than what we needed. It was good for the school. Um, but it's, there's no reason for us, if we can all be together in one service, that experience will be better. The energy is going to be off the charts. Secondly, but not just in the auditorium, also in the lobby. Um, I love it. When I'm done with New to K2, which takes me a little while, and I get down to the lobby, when you guys are still there chatting with each other and talking with each other, there is such a great vibe in the lobby. It creates community. And I want to tell you, especially when people are coming and they're visiting, when you, if we are all together in one service, then that lobby atmosphere is going to be completely different too. And by the way, so that's really the second reason. One, just the, the energy and the, the community that we'll, uh, that we'll have, but that opportunity to be together. You won't have people going to 930 and 1130. Everyone you know, everyone you love, you'll have a chance to see them on Sunday morning. And the truth is, you guys, we are very busy people. We're a very busy society. And, but we're making a commitment to be here on Sunday. And so how great would it be if after the service, we would make a commitment to say, you know what, this is my church, this is my family, and I'm going to come worship together, but I'm also going to hang out afterwards. We're, the summer's coming, which is a great time to do this. We'll, you know, we'll have some food at different times, we'll have some activities, and, and really provide a, a great atmosphere of connecting with everyone. But, but also, the third idea that hit us was, because of our busyness, sometimes we find it hard just to get together with discipleship opportunities of really helping each other grow in our faith, equipping each other. Um, 
So how about instead of trying to find another time during the week at, at the hour before the service starts, you can tell the friend, it's like, hey, let's just, if we're going to be at K2 anyway, let's grab a bagel, let's grab coffee, and the equipping and discipling opportunities could actually happen before. I just want to tell you, when we start thinking about all of this together, being equipped in the morning, worshiping all together, and then having a great community atmosphere after the service, it just felt like a win, win, win. So month from now, June 16th, we are going to go to one service, and we're going to split it right down the middle. We're going to 1030. So uh, yeah, we didn't want to lean either way, which make the 1130 people and your 930 people as happy as possible by going right down the middle. So man, I'd love your prayers, and I'd also love for you to start thinking intentionally about, hey, how can I come here on Sundays and be a part of creating a great atmosphere of love and community and worship here at K2? And so, man, so thanks again. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for being on this adventure with us, and, um, and thanks for joining us as we move into this next uh, season that God has for us. I hope you guys have a great morning. Thank you guys for being here. I got a quick test for you. Uh, what time is the service time going to be when we go to one service? 10.30. Good job. And what is the date that we're going to start that? Yes. Yes. Good, good job, guys. That's good test right there. You remember 30 seconds later. Oh, was that up there? You, you cheaters. You cheaters. All right. No, I know you're good. I know you're good. So last week we were talking about uh, this, this idea uh, in the book of Jonah that God, when God does the unthinkable, and when God does the unthinkable, he does something very much different than when we do the unthinkable. Usually when we do the unthinkable things, they're unthinkably bad things, right? But when God does the unthinkable, he does unthinkably good things. And he does this in the book of Jonah chapter 1 where he, you see it, in, he, he calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, and he wants that city of Nineveh to repent. So it's like God's love even loves the enemies. The, the Ninevites were the enemies of God's people. They were oppressing him. They were keeping their thumb down on them. And so he's sending his own man to go speak to them. He loves his enemies. God does the unthinkable because even when Jonah, the prophet of God, runs away, he goes and he runs after him. He's like, no, you don't. I'm coming for you. I love you that much, right? And that's what God does when he does the unthinkable. And today we're going to be looking at really the same chapter, but we're going to look at Jonah's side. Last week we were looking at God's side. Today we're looking at Jonah's side. And we're going to, we're going to look at the ideas when I do the unthinkable. Like I said earlier, when I do the unthinkable, it's usually not unthinkably good. It's unthinkably bad, right? And so, uh, and, and here's the deal is there's this imagery in Jonah that's a lot of imagery of sleep, of falling asleep and being unaware. And, and, and here's where we're going today is that when I fall asleep to the presence of God, I do the unthinkable. I don't know how many of you guys, when you're driving, are like me. Like we, I'll be driving, and I drive from west, like out Taylorsville, West Jordan area, and I drive towards the church. Uh, every day I come here into the office, and I come down 5,400, 5,300, whatever it's called. And, uh, and especially on, the, uh, on this side of Redwood Road, between Redwood and hitting 700 when I turn left, oftentimes I'll just be like, whoa, I'm there already. Like, I totally spaced where I was for a second, right? How many of you have done that where you're just like five minutes down the road, 10 miles down the road, and you're like, where am I at? How did I get here, right? It's like you just have no recollection. Anybody with me? 
Right, sorry uh, to those who didn't raise their hand that I'm on the same road as you. So apologize for that. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and uh, an, you know, another instance is when I was, uh, I was up in uh, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I get, had good ice cream, and I was eating this ice cream. I was talking with somebody. I was just eating. I was so in, in, enthralled in the ice cream and the conversation. I was eating, and I just, like, slammed face first into this light post. It's like, ding. You know, it's like so unaware, unawake to the, the surroundings, even though it was right in front of my face, Right? And, and most of the time, you know, in, in there's situations like that where we have uh, the unthinkable isn't, doesn't have a lot of consequences. Uh, that, that's some of the time, right? But most of the time, we actually have, do unthinkable things, and there's a lot of consequences. And uh, I know that one time, uh, falling asleep, like this imagery of falling asleep, I, I did that in my own marriage. Like uh, my, my wife and I, I would say we have a, a pretty good marriage. And I'd like to think of myself as a good husband. Uh, but there was this season where we were struggling, right? And I don't know what was going on exactly, but I definitely felt like she wasn't treating me well. Now, I don't know if that was accurate or not now that I look back on it, because I realized I was falling asleep uh, to her and to her needs and those types of things. So it's quite possible that I'm the one causing all this in the first place. But then I, I, I think in my head, you know what I'm going to do to make sure that she knows how bad she's treating me is I'm going to treat her poor too. You know, it's like I had this idea, this flip. I remember this flip switch in my head. It's just like, I'm no longer going to treat her well because she's not treating me well. And I'm expecting this to change her mind towards me to start treating me better. That's what we should call crazy, right? It's like, uh, it's like you can't treat somebody poorly and expect them to treat you really great in return. It just doesn't work that way, right? And so, but the, I've got a good wife, right? I've got a great wife. And, and along the way, she came up, she grabbed me, she slapped me a little bit. No, she didn't do that. But she, uh, she said, Derek, you're not, you're not, there's something wrong. I don't know what's going on, but you're not the guy that I know. You're not the Derek that I know. And, and that just clicked in me. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've fallen asleep. I'm no longer who I was, and I'm doing the unthinkable. And so there's this, this, this imagery through, through the book of Jonah. And, and to give you a little background about the book of Jonah, I, I know that uh, it's just a, a different book, an odd book in the Old Testament, especially among the prophets. Usually you have a prophetic book, and it's the word of the Lord coming through the mouth of the prophet. You have the man of God who's sensitive to the, the spirit of God and sensitive to the voice of God, and he's listening and he's hearing, and then he's dispensing God's wisdom out to his people, and he's speaking to the people who are being rebellious, and he's trying to bring his flock back in, and this is what's going on with the prophet, but this is very much a different type of literature. You actually have uh, this, uh, a story of a prophet, so it's a story of a prophet, and it's not only that, it's, it's a story of a prophet going to a foreign people group, Right? And then the story's written in such a way that it's, it's, it's supposed to tell us, it's supposed to teach us something. It's teaching us really what it's looking like for, for Jonah, the man of God, to fall asleep here, especially in the, the first chapter. This is what's going on. And Jonah, the character of Jonah, is very much 
odd because the man of God's supposed to be this, this good person, this, this upright person, this righteous person, righteous man of God. And instead, you see all the good things in Jonah are actually bad and all the bad things in Jonah are actually good. The things that are supposed to be awake are asleep and the things that are supposed to be asleep are awake. And we see that in Jonah. He's not really the, a very godly person. In fact, he, he looks very much like the bad guy in this story, right? And I don't know about you, but uh, none of us want to be the bad guy in our story. Who wants to be the bad guy? Who wants to be the villain? That, that's exactly what happens when we start to fall asleep and we start to do the unthinkable, is we start to become this bad guy. None of us want that. And so we want to listen to this story of Jonah where we have this guy who's just not looking like the part that he's supposed to be playing. And so this book forces us to hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, Am I looking like this guy? Am I this religious person? Am I this, this upright, righteous person who's actually living completely opposite? Or in my private life, things look totally different than they look on Sunday. We're supposed to hold up a mirror and go, am I a religious hypocrite? This is some of what's happening here in the book of Jonah, especially in chapter one. And it's really gonna ask us the question, am I awake to the presence of God? Because when I'm asleep to the presence of God, remember this, I do the unthinkable. So I don't know who you are in the, in the audience when it comes to this, but you might be the, uh, like a guy who's really trying to seek God and you just are somewhat drowsy at the wheel or you sometimes get distracted at the wheel, right? And, and I think there's going to be some stuff in here for you. You might be the, the person who, in your faith, like you came to faith and you were just on fire. You were a light. You were a force to be reckoned with. And then something happened where the fire turned cold and you've just kind of been going through the motions for a while. And you're sitting here going, is this faith thing really for me still? What's going on, God? And you're sitting here hoping to have these questions answered. I hope the book of Jonah has something for you here today as well. Or you might be just in the audience as a spectator, you're like, I've been living this life and it seems to me, based on everything that I see, everything I hear, everybody I know, that there's more to life than myself, but I don't know what it is. And so if you're in the audience and you're just like, hey, I wanna see if there's this something bigger than me, uh, I hope that Jonah has something for you today. And Jonah chapter one is gonna hopefully get us to a place where we find out, first one, how we fall asleep, and then number two, how we can become awake, especially being awake to God. So you guys ready to jump in today? Yeah, yeah? good, good. So let's start in Jonah uh, chapter one, verse one. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So this, this first verse right here gives us a little indication of this, this imagery going on and this comparison of awake and asleep. You have Jonah... The son of Amittai. Jonah means dove, and Amittai means faithfulness. So it's Jonah, son of faithfulness. You have this character that's supposed to be uh, as innocent of a, as a dove. You know, the, the dove also has this imagery of the Spirit of God, right? So he's supposed to be in tune with the Spirit of God, and he's supposed to be faithful. So let's see what this character ends up turning out to be, right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come before me. So we've got God saying to Jonah, hey, go, I've got a mission for you. It's a, it's a mission to the great city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, as we were talking about, had been oppressing and taking advantage of the people of God. These, I'm, I'm sure Jonah, 
uh, this is something Dave talked about last week, had seen and witnessed some horrible atrocities. Uh, there, there's been people in his life that he knows have been murdered by the people in the great city of Nineveh, uh, people that have been raped, people that have been abused by the people in the great city of Nineveh. And God says, go to your enemies and preach to them. And Jonah says, uh, heck with that. I'm going to run away from the Lord and head to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, if you think of the uh, Mediterranean Sea, right? Tarshish is in Spain on the, the southern tip, and you've got... Uh, Jonah, he's in Israel, right? So he's going to try to get as far away as he can on a boat, all the way as far as he can in the, in the known civilized world at the time. So he's going away, not just going away somewhere close. He's going somewhere far away to run away from God. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship and bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Just Keep a, uh, your finger on this, that, that he went down to Joppa. We'll come right back to that, but let's keep moving forward in this story. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, you know how I was telling that there's things in this story that are awake and things that are asleep. Now, we all know that a ship is an inanimate object, but we see just by the way that this is written, it says that the ship threatened to break up, but the Hebrew word there is actually that this ship is like, it's almost like the ship has a brain. It's like, I'm pondering, I'm thinking about the idea of whether or not, I'm going to plan whether or not I should break apart right now. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you're at the gym or you're doing something hard and you're right in the middle of a workout and you're like, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to finish this thing or not. Like, I, I might just straight up break apart before this thing's done. You know, it's like that personal trader is pushing you. You're like, I can't do this anymore. And this ship is kind of in that place. It's like, it's, it's this imagery that the ship almost has a personality going on here. Uh, but so, so keep that in mind as well, uh, that the ship is threatening to break up. And all the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea and lightened the ship. Now, this is kind of a, a cool thing going on. There, there, there's like uh, the, the wind and the waves. There's a lot of activity going on on the top of the ship. The, the, the sailors are like, okay, what should we do? Well, they're polytheists, right? And so they're like, let's pray to our gods. And so they all start praying to different gods. And they're like, Paul, you take that god. And, and you know, Simon, you take this god. And we're all going to pray to different gods. And we're trying to see if one of these gods, maybe we offended it doing something. And so we're going to try to appease these gods, see if we can get the wind and the waves down. Now, None of that worked, right? And so they're like, okay, in order to save our lives, we're going to sacrifice our, our living, right? And so they start throwing the stuff overboard. And they, they, they're trying to lighten the load so they can maybe make it back to shore. And so there's all this activity. There's all this movement. There's this praying. The wind and the waves are going. The ship's threatening to break up. There's a lot, a lot of moving parts going on. And then we see Jonah here in verse 5. And it says, but Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. So there's this contrast going on. All these things moving, all these things aware, all these, these, these sailors praying and, and moving and throwing stuff overboard. And then Jonah's just vast asleep. Got his head on his pillow and he's snoring, right? All these people, all these things awake. Jonah, the man of God, who's very much supposed to be awake, 
very much supposed to be the one who's in tune with the Spirit. His name is Dove, right? He's supposed to be in tune with God. He's asleep at the wheel. And there's this, this wordplay going on all throughout these first few verses. We, I said, keep your finger on the down to Joppa. And, and it says, he went down to Joppa in verse 3. Then it says, and you can tell this in the Hebrew, it says he goes down, actually down onto the ship. It's like the ship is lower uh, than the port in which he was getting off on. And then he went below the deck, and he went into the depths of the ship. And then he laid down, and then he fell asleep. You can just see this thing. He's on a journey, and he's going down, and he's going down further, and he's going down further, and he's getting lower and lower and he's falling asleep. It's the author, the storyteller trying to tell you this guy, this man of God, he is not aware of anything that's going on around him. Jonah was invited into the mission of God to confront evil, to bring justice, to bring grace, to bring mercy, and instead he ran away because he hates the Ninevites. For rightful reasons. You don't know the Ninevites, but Jonah did, right? If you were Jonah, you would have hated the Ninevites too. What he experienced made him hate the Ninevites. But because of that, he decided to run away. He decided that he was going to go on a path that was going to turn him in on himself and make him fall to sleep. And so it, it begs this question, like, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where we're like Jonah, where we're this guy who's just completely unaware to the surrounding, what's going on in his life, what's going on in the lives of the people around him, the fact that his life is actually at danger, not only that, and everybody else's life is at danger. He has no clue. How do we get there? This, this is, uh, how do we fall asleep, I guess, is, might be the question. And let me just go, go here. Let's, let's check out a few points. Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah, here, right here. So, this is how we fall asleep. Um, we're confronted with an inconvenient reality, and we see this with Jonah. Jonah is asked by God to go to a people that he hates, right? And this is inconvenient for him because he hates these people. He doesn't like them, and he does not want to bring God's mercy to them. You decide to reject or ignore that reality, and which is what we see Jonah doing when he's running. You blame God. We see this in other parts of the story of Jonah where, where, where he's just so upset with God and what he's doing to these people. And then we turn in on ourselves. And let me just uh, illustrate this example with something I'm sure you've never experienced. I definitely have not experienced. But how many of you are men in the room with kids? Okay. So there was this, this father of a, a one-month-old that walked in the building this morning and he was just like, it was almost like he you couldn't see, right? It was like, he was staggering around. And he's like, my baby has been waking up every hour, on the hour, all night for the last month and I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Like, I'm so tired. I'm just walking around. I don't know if you've been in this, this situation. Like I said, I've never been in this situation. But let's hypothetically say you hear your baby crying in the middle of the night, right? And you hear and you think, oh, I should probably get up and then go comfort the baby, right? You think that in your own self, but then you realize it's two in the morning, and that sounds crazy, right? Because you're tired. So you decide, no, I'm just going to go back to sleep, and hopefully the baby goes to sleep too, but what we know is that that doesn't usually happen, right? And so the baby just keeps crying and crying and crying, and then what do we do? We start to think, what in the world? So we, we've already done these two. We've been confronted with the inconvenient reality. This baby is ruining my life, right? 
we decide to ignore it, and then we start to blame other people, right? We, so this is what happens oftentimes as I look over at my wife. Oh, I mean, I've never done this. You might look over at your wife, and you go, what in the world? What is wrong with her? She is not getting up to take care of that baby? Like, I can't believe that. I'm the one who had the feeling like I should get up. And she's probably still sound asleep. She might be pretending too, I don't know. But that's where my mind goes. It's like, she is probably just pretending right now. She's, she's just letting this thing get on my nerves. And this baby, ugh, you know, and it's like, and then we just completely turn in on ourselves and that's all we can think about is us. I, all I can think about at that point is me. And this is called self-deception. And the Bible calls this sin. And every sin starts with this. It starts with the belief that we know better than God. Well, at least in this situation with Jonah, Jonah felt like he knew better than God, right? It's like, Okay, God, I know that you're telling me to go and to preach to these people of Nineveh, but I think I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to trick me. You say you're going to go preach judgment on them, but I know you, God. I know you well enough to know that you're going to really bring mercy on him. So I'm not going to play in your little game. I'm going to run away. And, and then he, he falls into this idea that he thinks he knows what's better for the Ninevites than God knows what's better for them. They deserve punishment they deserve vengeance. Every ounce of what they've given to my people, they need it tenfold, God. That's what I want you to bring on the great city of Nineveh is judgment, not mercy. I know better than you. And this is where we go. We, we start sinning because we start believing something that isn't true. And then we start to fall asleep. We start to become numb. We start to turn in on ourselves. And that's what happens when we fall asleep. That's what happens when we sin, and that's what happens when we're self-deceived. So let's go back to the story real quick. How is Jonah doing right now where we left him? Oh, he's doing okay, right? Because he's just sound asleep in the bottom of the boat, right? How's everybody else doing? Yeah, they're not doing any good, right? They're like, afraid that they're going to die right now, right? They're in panic mode. Think that. So we have uh, the, these people running around in panic, and, and this, this kind of brings me to this point, is, uh, is when I fall asleep, I do the unthinkable, right? And one of the ways I do the unthinkable is that I'm a liability to everyone around me. You know, Jonah is like, he's like in a spiritual demolition derby. He's in the car, he's crashing into things, but he fell asleep at the wheel and his pedal is to the metal and he's got people in his path. This is what's happening in Jonah's life. And the, the thing is, is that it, sin affects other people. We see this right here happening in the book of Jonah. Jonah is completely unaware of what's going on, but the people around him are not unaware. And we like to think in our culture, because we're so individualistic, that my choices are my choices. And as long as I'm okay with what I'm doing, and you know, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? It's like, it, the, my decisions don't affect the people around me. But I think this book is actually teaching us and telling us that our decisions very much affect the people around me. 
Especially when I start to fall asleep, because what happens is I start to fall asleep, and then I become more and more out of tune and out of touch with the direction I'm supposed to be going. So I take one little moral compromise, and it becomes 10, and it becomes 100, and then it becomes 1,000. And 1,000 moral compromises are like these threads that are woven through the tapestry of my life, and it starts to tell the story of who I am. And you can't tell me that when that starts to happen, that that doesn't start to spill over the bank of my life and into the banks of your life, right? It's like our decisions, what I try to do, it affects you. And that's what we see here happening in Jonah. And the worst possible thing is that Jonah isn't even aware of it. Like he's totally out for the count. But Somebody shows up. His wife shows up. No, it's actually the captain in verse 6, right? It says, The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. So, you know, they'd all been working and praying and, and frantic and moving around. He's like, Hey, he grabbed Jonah by the, the, the collar and he slapped him around a little bit. And he said, Wake up, man. It's time to get to work. We've got things going on. Maybe... He, your God will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Now, did Jonah's God take notice of them? Very much so, right? It's like the whole, the whole reason their boat is about to break apart, and they've had to throw the cargo overboard and all this is because of Jonah's God having taking notice of them. He wants Jonah, and he's going after him with everything he's got. But I think it's worth making a note, quick note, about this, this thing that's going on here. We have this captain coming and trying to wake up Jonah. And, and I think it's, it's important that Jonah isn't alone because he's kind of trapped with these sailors on this ship. These pagan, polytheistic sailors. He's with them, right? And this pagan, polytheistic captain is the one who comes into his life and is like, hey guy, time to wake up. It's like the first time he's been asked to pray is by the guy who's a pagan saying, hey, maybe you should pray. Like, I know you're the man of God, but like, let, let's wake up a little bit. Let's get some things going. And, you know, it's one of those things where in the midst of our sin, in the midst of us falling asleep, something, in the midst of us doing the unthinkable, what we like to do, what we tend to do is that we actually isolate. We, try, we don't want people to judge us. We don't want people to shame us. We don't want to feel that what we're doing is wrong, even though we know in the deep of our core and our being that it is. So we, we move ourselves away from people. So the, one of the saving graces that, that Jonah has is the fact that he is with people on this boat. Now, this doesn't wake him up, but at least if, if you're not like completely in the depths of slumber, somebody picking you up and slapping you around a little bit could wake you up, Right? And that's what I just want to say, hey, if you are not connected, if you're not in community, if you don't have a place to belong here in this church, you got to get plugged in because you cannot do life on your own. It just doesn't work. We need each other, especially when times are rough and the sea gets crazy, right? So let's keep moving through the story. Then the sailors said to each other, the prayer isn't working, right? All these things. So what are we going to do? Come, let us cast lots and find who is responsible for this calamity. 
they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Now, the, the casting of lots is kind of like ancient dice rolling. They would, they would do this to try to divine the will of the gods, right? And, and we know what God is ultimately in control, and somehow he controls the dice to fall on Jonah, being the one at fault. And so they, they start just badgering him with questions. It says, so they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's, what, uh, what is your country? Where are, you, where are your people? Like, you, they're just like, boom, 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 boom. And then you have, like, this, this guy. I mean, you can just imagine. Jonah just woke up from his nap. He's, like, in his deep sleep. He's like, what, what, what's going on here? And they're just, it's the same. There's this crazy pace. There's this frantic pace. Everybody is aware of what's going on. And then you've got this prophet of God who's just completely going like, oh, you can almost imagine his response in verse 9. It's almost like he's yawning. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Okay, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, if maybe some translations uh, say worship. Other translations in English say, I fear God. Uh, does Jonah fear God? No, he is running from God, which he proclaimed to be the God who made the land and the sea on a boat in the sea. Isn't that dumb? If you really feared God, you wouldn't be doing that. That's, that's an idiotic move right there. And so Jonah doesn't fear God, but he, he tells the people who this God is. And these sailors are like, they're terrified. It says, this terrified them. And they asked him, what have you done? So Jonah doesn't fear God, right? But who does? Yeah, these people that are pagans. They're the bad guys in the story, right? They're, they're polytheists. They're, they're shooting their prayers everywhere. And you have them and they're like, oh my goodness. We're seeing for uh, this God for who he really is. He has power over the sea. We're trying, we're, we're experienced sailors. We're trying everything we know how to do to save this boat and it's not working. And then you have this guy, Jonah, show up and he's like, I'm a Hebrew and I, I fear God. And it's just like, are you serious? We're supposed to look at this story and just be offended because this is just the religious hypocrisy at the height right here. This is like, I think what our, our neighbors, our cowboy neighbors up, up north here in Wyoming call bull honky, right? It's like, or, or bull pucky. Is, I had actually had somebody in Wyoming tell me, we don't say bull honky, we say bull pucky. So uh, I was like, okay, I'm sorry, okay, bull pucky. Uh, you know, this, this, is, this is a bunch of BS, right? This is religious jargon, right? It's just you babbling, you're just talking. You don't really believe what you're saying. And the sailors see this. The words and the deeds of Jonah are not matching up at all. And it's not, like, we, we like to think that we're actually fooling people when our words and our deeds no longer match. But we're not fooling anybody, right? Jonah is definitely not fooling these sailors. And so this is what they say. Uh, there's like this little flashback. Just imagine like the, the screen is getting light and they're going back. And they say, 
They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. This is flashback going on. And they're going back to the, the shores of Joppa, back to the port. And, and they're asking Jonah, like, oh, Jonah, why are you uh, going on this trip? And he goes, well, is, is it, is like, it's like customs. You go on for business or pleasure? Well, uh, neither, really. I'm, I'm going to flee from God. Well, I haven't ever heard that one before, but you paid the fare, so here you go, stamped your book. You may as well keep going on. They knew why he was fleeing, but they had imagined, imagine they're polytheists. They're thinking, oh, it's just whatever God you worship in your village, and uh, they move, move right along. They had no idea who they were dealing with. They were dealing with the Most High God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. This is the God that Jonah is running from, and they, they're afraid. Let me ask you this question real quick. So a prophet of God, the prophet is supposed to point to God. How is Jonah doing it pointing to God? How is he doing? Terrible, terrible. I, I like that. Good response. Now, is, God's, is God limited to using a perfect witness to tell his story. What do we see? No. Like, you can start to see the hearts of these sailors start to change. It's like they're starting to get a picture of who this God is. They're, they're like starting to imagine, oh, maybe there's something else going on here. And he's using Jonah to do it. It's amazing. Uh, if we keep reading, it gets even more amazing. It says uh, in verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Oh, prophet of God, tell us, oh, wise one. And this is his, all of his wisdom. Pick me up, throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, this may seem like Jonah's starting to wake up to what's going on, right? Oh, he's become self-aware again, and he's taking responsibility for his actions. But as Day pointed out last week, this may be the lowest point of Jonah's spiritual darkness and his spiritually falling asleep, right? It's because what's the one sure way that he will never have to go to the city of Nineveh? If he's dead, right? If he's dead, he never has to go to the city of Nineveh. And guess what he does? If he, di- if he dies, then maybe God will never find another person who he can ask to go to that city. So not as only is he taking himself down, but he's also taking the whole city with him. This is like Jonah is just a big spiritual wrecking ball. He's a spiritual liability. He's fallen asleep at the wheel, and he's taking a bunch of other people with him. This is what's going on. But then we see in verse 13, these guys are like, no, we don't want to do that. Like, this is the man, the prophet of God. We want to honor him. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. I don't know if I would have done that, right? It's like, okay, if I'm going to, my life is going to be saved. Like, yep, you're in the water. We're, we're good to go. But they could not. They couldn't do anything. Who are they rowing against? They weren't rowing against the sea, right? They were rowing against God. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man of God. For you, O Lord, have done what you pleased. Okay, 
Uh, interesting point here. Uh, the first prayer to the Most High God, who did it come from? The whole book of Jonah. Who did it come from? The pagan sailors. Who did it not come from? Jonah, the man of God, right? It's like, dove, son of faithfulness, where's your prayer? No, these sailors are the ones who offer up the first prayer. And I just want to say, when I fall asleep, I do the unthinkable. And one of the ways in which I do the unthinkable is that I actually miss out on the miracles of God that are happening all around me. Like, God is at work on this boat. And Jonah is still asleep. I can't think of a better picture of, what's, of spiritual apathy than this, right? And, and you see right here, if you keep moving in verse 15 and 16, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men grew, uh, greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to him, and they made vows to him. This is intense, right? There's something happening there's something very intense happening. There's almost this, there's a conversion experience happening and Jonah's missing out on all of it, right? It's like these, these sailors, they're praying to God. They see God work. Like they see the power of God. They throw Jonah overboard no, no sooner. It's like the sea just, it's calm. And they go, oh man, something powerful just happened. This God, we prayed to all of our gods and it didn't work. This God, we prayed to him, did what he said, and he brought peace to the chaos of the sea. This God, there's something amazing about him. And so they, they actually respond to that. It says they go and they make sacrifices. Now, if you're going to make a sacrifice to God at this time, it involves uh, a bull or maybe at least a couple of goats and, and making a huge fire to burn them up. Can they do that on a wooden ship? No, you can't do that on a wooden ship, right? So they, they go and they, pro- they find another place to, to port. Maybe they go back to Joppa. They go find some place they can worship the Lord and actually fear the Lord, right? And they, they go and they do that. And then it says that they actually make vows to God. It's amazing what's going on here. God is doing a miracle and Jonah missed out. Like I said, probably no better picture a spiritual apathy. Jonah is asleep, and we're asleep to the presence of God. We do the unthinkable. And, and this is really a good image of, I think, what is happening in American Christianity, too. We really, it's like Jonah. Jonah knew all the right things to say when they asked him, who are you? What are you doing here? What's going on? He's like, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Most High God. He made the land. He made the sea. He, he's got a lot of things that he knows about God, Right? It's like we, we kind of do the same thing. We know a lot. We like to come. We kinda like to listen to the sermons. We like to listen to the messages. We like to get a lot of stuff in our head. But there's a difference between knowing God here and knowing God right here. Right? And when we fall asleep, we, we, we fall asleep to the presence of God in our souls. And we're not fooling anybody just like in the book of Jonah, it's the pagans who are calling Jonah out. We have this happening all throughout our culture. The people that can actually see clearly what's happening in the church are the people outside the church. And they're looking and they're saying, you guys don't look like what you say you should look like, right? You don't look at all like Jesus. That Jesus guy, I kind of like what he looks like. I don't know what you look like, though. That's weird. There's something, one is not the other, right? And we have this big hypocrisy going on. 
So what do we do, right? What do we do? What does Jonah do? Now, we have a similar story in the, in, the, in the Gospels, actually. There's a lot of parallels between Jesus and Jonah, which is fun. Uh, and I've got one for you. Is in Mark chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples get into the, a boat. They decide to go to the other side of the sea. And it, as they're going out, Jesus decides he's going to take a nap. So he goes into the bottom of the boat and he falls asleep. Right? What does that sound like? Yeah, Jonah, right? It, so he falls asleep and then the seas get rough and the winds start to kick up and the waves start to come. And all the disciples, they kind of look like these pagan sailors. They're running around frantic. They're afraid that they're going to lose their lives. And they're not sure what to do because Jesus isn't waking up. He's just completely dead out. What do they do? What does Jonah do and these disciples do? Well, they, they do have something in common. They had different reactions. Jonah kind of fell asleep by going the depressed route. Uh, these disciples kind of fell asleep by going the anxious route. They're like, they think they're awake, but they're really not sure what to do. And they, they cry out to Jesus eventually, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die here? Jesus wakes up, and he speaks the word. The sea calms down. The exact same thing that happens in the book of Jonah. Jonah does the same thing. Jonah chapter 2. Let's look at this verse right here. Jonah, it's like this picture of Jonah sinking. It says uh, before this that Jonah is falling. He's, it's like this image that he keeps going deeper. He's been on this pathward down. And it says that now he's sinking. It's like he fell off the boat and he's just sinking into the water. And deeper and deeper. It says he's going down to the root of the mountains. And Right before he dies, it says, when my life was ebbing away, he's running out of breath. You can see this, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah woke up. But what did he do, really? What, what did Jonah do? Well, he didn't do anything, right? But this, the only thing he did was that he surrendered himself to God. He remembered God. He said, God, I'm here. Like, my prayers, I, I got no other hope. Like, I'm just going to lift up a prayer to you. And what happens? God sends this big fish, swallows him up to save his life. And that happened with Jesus too, right? They, like the, the disciples, they don't know what to do. But they surrender to God eventually. They say, Jesus, we need you. And he wakes up and he calms the sea. Now, it's really hard here because it's like, how do we wake up to God? Well, I don't have the three steps to wake up to God. But the only thing that I see that we can do is we can surrender. There's, there's only one. Like, our lives, they're either going to be in the midst of chaos in the midst of the sea, it's roaring back and forth, or we're going to put ourselves in life in the hands of God. And so I've got a few steps for you about how we can actually surrender. And the first one is this, is to identify my situation is desperate. Like Jonah did, he's in, in chapter 2, he realized that without God, he was going to die. Like there was no hope. His life was ebbing away. And I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're in this place where our life 
is in the midst of chaos, like in some way in your life, something's going down right now where you've got chaos, you've got darkness, you might even be doing the unthinkable because you've already fallen asleep and we need, we need to realize that we're in a desperate situation. Like we're like on the air mattress on the middle of the sea and it's about ready to overtake us, right? It's like we're any minute now gonna be under. We have to first, if we're gonna surrender to God, identify that we have no hope without him, right? And the second one is just this, like Jonah did in, in Jonah 2.2, he just cried out to God. He says, God, without you, I've got no hope. And then give himself over to, John, or to God. And in Jonah 2.9, he does this. I don't have a verse to put up there, but in, I'll read it out of the Bible. Uh, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah, in the midst of his terrible time, in the midst of his circumstance, he, he realizes that at some point in the past, he had made a vow to God. You don't just become a prophet of God on accident, right? He had a time in his life where he was awake to God, like God was working, God was speaking. He was a good prophet of God, speaking the words of God to the people of God, but he has fallen asleep and he realizes, I made a vow. I'm gonna go ahead and wake up to that reality and live out this vow. So he gives himself over to God and he says, God, I'm your person. I'll do what you want me to do. And that's what really surrender is, is to say, God, my life, the way I'm trying to do it, it's just not working. Like, it's not working for me anymore. I need a different way. Like, and, and we have to trust ourselves in God's hands, which is a really hard place to put yourself, right? It's like you're putting yourself. We all like to control our own situations. We like to be the masters of our own destiny. And what, what life requires, if we're going to live it well, what life requires, if we're going to be awake, is to actually surrender ourselves and say, I don't know how to do this. Like, how many of you think you actually know what you're doing? Like, I think most of us are just, we're just like, got put here on this earth and we're trying to figure it out, right? It's like, the, the neuroscientists that are experts even say that we don't know how to make good decisions that actually make us happy and make us fulfilled in life. Like, we usually pick the wrong ones. But we're saying to God, okay, God, we don't know how to do this, but you made us, you know us. Like, we, we want to do what you have for us because we trust that whatever your way is is going to be better than my way. And that's what Jonah does. But what Jonah doesn't do is that he actually doesn't do the fourth step, which is to do this again tomorrow. Like, surrender is a constant process. Like, we have to actually wake up every day and give our life over to God and say, God, whatever you want for my life is better than what I'm going to want for my life. And we see that Jonah, he surrendered himself to God in chapter 2, but then in chapters 3 and 4, he created a lot of turmoil for himself. It's like he forgot the fact that he got swallowed by a whale. It's pretty interesting. So this is what it looks like to surrender. This is what it looks like to get out of our own world, to get out of this inward focus. We've turned ourselves, we've turned our, our, our attention in on ourselves. We can't think of anything but our own pain, our own experience, and we say, God, I got nothing. I need you, right? Lord, I need you. That's what we have to do here. And that's what we're, we're asking, really. We're, we're actually going to be heading in this time of communion today. And this is a 
communion is a great time and a great imagery of us giving over of ourselves to God. And so I just want to invite those who are, uh, who are handing out communion to go ahead and pass out the elements. Uh, we're going to be giving you uh, bread, a little piece of bread, and, and a, a cup of juice. And these are symbols. These are symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're new here, know that if you've taken Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've surrendered yourself to him, trusting that his way is better than yours, then we say we love it if you would take part in this communion with us. And the beautiful part about this, this picture of Jonah is that Jesus actually says that the only sign that I'll give this wicked and corrupt generation is this, the sign of Jonah. Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale. Now, if you read the end of chapter one, Jonah gets swallowed up by this big fish. Now, we're not supposed to look at that and go, yes, salvation came to Jonah. Like, what happens when you get swallowed by a shark? Like, you're dead, right? It's like we're supposed to see this as a death of Jonah. And then three days later, he spit out on the shore as a new man, right? And this is what we see in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he is saying, he, I, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to die and I'm going to cover up all the sin in the world. But guess what? I'm not done. Like, I'm going to conquer death with new life. This sign of Jonah is the sign of Jesus. Like you can read this chapter and smell the good news that God is alive. Like God wants to bring life in the midst of your broken and dead places. And I don't know where you're at right now. You might be in a place where you want to be like these sailors. I, I actually really think that uh, you should seriously consider the fact that these sailors made vows to God. And you might have been listening to the message and God's been speaking to you this whole time and, and he's been pointing out an area in your life where you are just thoroughly asleep. You've fallen asleep and you've been doing the unthinkable. Today's a good day to make a vow to God and to say, God, I want to wake up to your, Im to, to your image, to your goodness, to your love. I want to wake up to your new life. Like, I don't want to be asleep anymore, God. I want to surrender to you. And so I, I just recommend, man, whether it's your first time or your 31st time saying yes to Jesus, it's worth doing again today. I know that I've got places in my own soul, places that are dark, places that need redemption from Jesus. And so uh, as you're contemplating, we're going to take the elements and just if you haven't already taken, just hold on to them. We're going to be singing a song here together. At least as you're holding these elements, listen to the words. And if you're ready to stand up and say yes to God today, because surrender is a daily task, that during the song, as you're taking these elements, stand up. And may your sign of standing up be a sign that you're saying yes to God one more day that I'm willing to give up myself, I'm willing to give up my life so that I can follow you. Let's pray. God, you're so good. Lord God, we love you. And God, we, we struggle to give up. 
our own will because, Lord, you, you made us like you. You made us in your own image, and we want the control, but, Lord, we know we don't have the power to wield it, but you do. And so, Lord, I pray that we can just give up of ourselves. Lord, we could identify the fact that we, we've got nothing, and all we need is you. So, Lord, be with us today. Lord, help us to remember the sacrifice that you made, the fact that you went to the cross, Lord, and that in order for us to have life, you gave up your life. Lord, you went three days in the tomb, and you resurrected and you conquered death, Lord, so that we could have new life like Jonah. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.